I heard this quote from Leonard Ravenhill. Anybody familiar with Leonard Ravenhill? Yeah. Kind of a revivalist, evangelist, uh, born in England, uh, moved to the United States in about the 50s, 60s, just did revivals, uh, just all kinds of uh, crusades and different things all throughout the country, uh, settled in Lindale, Texas. In fact, was part of and spoke into Last Days Ministries, was a good friend with Keith Green. Anybody remember Keith Green, Last Days Ministries? Yeah. Uh, really great, kind of a revivalist as well, uh, Keith Green. But uh, he was also friends with Charles Stanley. Anybody heard of Charles yeah. Stanley? Yeah. Charles Stanley, yeah. A.W. Tozer, also good friends with A.W. Tozer, yeah. Um, he made his way uh, to connect with a lot of people. He has some powerful meetings, and you can hear some of them uh, on YouTube still. There was one quote that he made, and some, some quotes from Leonard Ravenhill, you're thinking, ouch, that kind of hurts, you know. Uh, one quote, he said, the only reason we don't have revival is because we're willing to live without it. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those, ouch, yeah. you know. Um, because, and his point is because you're, you're content not to have, not to have revival. You don't, you don't really see a need for it. And part of me thought, well, yeah, that's, that can be true. And as I was, I was thinking on this, I was also thinking maybe other reason why we, we don't see revival is because we are not, we don't really, ha or we haven't seen revival. Uh, like, like in the past, or we don't know of the revivals of the past. And so it's hard to, to want something maybe you can't really even picture in your mind sometimes. And so this morning, I, I want to I jump into the heart of revival, and that's the title of my message, The Heart of Revival. Pastor Kerry kind of uh, mentioned this last Sunday when he started to preach, and he was saying that, you know, revival is not just something external and coming to happen to us, but it's something that happens within us and comes from within. And I really wanted to dive into, and even before he said that, I was like, wow, he's about to preach my message. I thought he was just going to go into that. But, but thankfully, he let, left me some things to say today, and so I am going to talk about the heart of revival. Uh, this morning in Second Chronicles six nineteen, says for the eyes of the Lord they roam to and fro over all the earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those who our hearts are fully devoted to Him. He's looking for hearts. He's looking for hearts that are open to Him. Second Chronicles six nineteen, and that sorry sixteen. Nine. <laughs> I had it, had it backwards. 16.9. 16.9. But revival doesn't happen, you know, in just an empty field or in just a building. That revival doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? right. Revival happens with people. And if you read about revivals, it's all about what God does in people. And God's moving in people. And a simple definition of revival is... God at work in and through his people. God at work. Revival is a work of God. Now we, we offer a place for it, and we, we can create a, a, 
an opening for him to move, we're not the ones who do the revival necessarily other than we engage in what God is doing. Like Jesus would say, I only do what I see the Father doing. I engage with him. And so we create a space. We, we make an opportunity for him. And there are so many revivals that we see that God's just started moving on a few people. Moving on hearts. On hearts that, that were wanting more. And I was reading through a number of revivals again this week, and there are so many revivals, and it's really encouraging to read these. And 1859 was an incredible year for revivals around the planet. Uh, but 1859, maybe you haven't heard of this one. It's the Ulster Revival in Ireland. And it reminded me, this, this started with kids. It started in schoolhouses. This boy named James McQuilkin was stirred up because his teacher said, what can you do for God to make a difference in the world? This boy got stirred up. He got three other boys with him, and they began to pray together every day at school. They prayed for three months. They began to see kids come to faith in Christ Jesus. It began to change in their, their, their schools. Their school began to just become this place of God's presence. And it began to actually spread to other schools. It says that there was a young boy that came under conviction at one school and announced, oh, I'm so happy. I have the Lord Jesus in my heart. And it spread, this, this little boy's encounter with Jesus spread throughout the whole school with children on their knees out on the playground, crying out to God and shouting and giving God glory and praising Him. On the playground. Well, it became so loud that people that were passing by and the people that lived by this school came to see what was going on at the school. As the people came to see what was happening at the school, they saw these kids on their knees crying out to God and worshiping. And they came under the conviction and the presence of God and fell on their knees and gave themselves to the Lord. And it began to continue to spread throughout all of Ireland. And in fact, that it, would sp it spread everywhere, and there's all these different things. It spread into bars, and there's a testimony of this woman at a bar. And at, at a bar, she got convicted by the Holy Spirit, and she fell on her face right at the bar. She began to cry out to God. It says this guy came in and wanted a whiskey. He comes in, well, I can't drink my whiskey in here, because everybody was crying out to God. He was like, oh, forget it. So he walked outside, fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, turned around, went back to the bar, and fell on his face with everyone else crying out to God and got saved. <laughs> Do we need revival? That's what we need. That's what we need. We need revival. Revival begins in God. Revival is 
in the heart of God. It is administered by His Holy Spirit, and it accomplishes its work in the heart of man. Okay, so it begins in God, it's worked by the Holy Spirit into our hearts, and then flows from our hearts. That's what revival is. It starts in the heart of God. Isaiah 57, 15. God is the author of revival. Revival is his work, and we are his workmanship. <laughs> the ones he works in. In verse 15, Isaiah 15 says, For this is what the high and exalted one says. Get that? God says, God says this through Isaiah. God says, He who lives in eternity, speaking of himself, he who lives or inhabits, dwells, he who dwells in eternity, the word for eternity is who dwells in continually, who dwells in life always. He is always living in continual life. He is life. That the one who dwells in continual life, eternity, whose name is holy. We praise, praised his holy name today. He says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite. The word contrite means crushed. And lowly, shafal in spirit, is low, low in spirit. Why does he dwell there? To revive Revive, to revive the spirit of the lowly, the heart, the innermost being, and to revive the heart of the contrite. So God comes to these who are lowly and humble and contrite, and he's doing what? He's bringing revival life on the inside of these hearts. That's what he does. God is declaring that. That's where I live. I live in hearts that are low and crushed because I want to come in there and I want to revive them. I want to make them alive. I want to resuscitate them. Yes. God himself, that's what he says he does. Amen. I'm excited about it. <laughs> Romans 8.11 then says, because I said, so it starts in the heart of God, it's administered by the Spirit. Romans 8.11 says, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, yes. wait, the Spirit who does what? Raises from the dead. The Spirit who does what? Revives, resuscitates, resurrects that same Spirit, that Spirit who lives in eternity, who is himself life, works inside, just as he worked inside of Christ Jesus and rose him from the dead. The dead could not capture Jesus. That rose Jesus from the dead, just that same Spirit that lives in Christ Jesus is the same spirit who also gives life. Zoo poieo. Well, thanks, Jim. I don't care about that. It, it's a compound word from zoe. A lot of us know the word zoe means life, right? Zoe and poieo, which means to make, to make life. That this spirit who makes life, who makes life, now lives on the inside of me, just as he made life in Christ. He gives life to my mortal body through his spirit who dwells in me. His revival comes from the spirit who dwells on the inside of me, from the inside out. That I make way for his revival work. 
okay? And I, I just was stirred up with this, that God wants to see us have revival. And I think sometimes we think, well, God, I'm, I'm ready. Just go ahead and do it. We're all waiting on you, God. It's all your work. But God is saying, I'm looking for specific places for me to do my work in. He says, I am looking for hearts. And Jesus would say this, Ho, everyone who is thirsty. On the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up in a loud voice, and he said, Everyone who is thirsty, let him come. And then John 7, 38, he says, He who believes... He who opens his heart, he who engages in my work and who I am, he who believes in me, as scriptures have said, from his innermost being will flow rivers, plural, of living water. Rivers of living water. That rivers of revival water, of this revival life that the Spirit has come to place on the inside, to work on the inside of us, will flow from within you. So what was I saying? I was saying revival starts in the heart of God, administered by His Spirit into our lives, and flows from our hearts to minister to a world. To a world that needs Him desperately. He looks for people for revival. Yes. Could God just have his angels? Okay, angels, I all want you to go to Tyler, Texas, and I want you to worship me on the square, and I want you to, to make sure that everybody turns towards me. He could do that. But he's chosen for us to do that. For us to be the ministers of revival. In 1859, in Natal, South Africa, uh, there was revival that began to spread, and it, it started in the, in the Zulu tribe when an African servant girl began to sing and pray in this meeting. Just this little girl, she began to sing and pray. It says that the Holy Spirit fell on the group. And there was a roaring sound like approaching thunder surrounded by hail, which, and, and the place where they were began to shake. <laughs> Quickly, this revival spread all through these Zulu tribes, went to all these different villages, and it was this little girl who was singing and praying out in church that God chose to manifest his presence through. Anybody want to be that, that one? Yes. I want to be that one. Yes. Yes. God, just go ahead. It's, it's okay. <laughs> I'd like to be that vessel, right? And not, I, I don't care. I don't care about the glory or the honor. I, I think you're probably with me on this. We just want to see you move like that. What I want us to hear, though, is that it's not that God doesn't want to move. That's right. That's right. God wants to move. He does want to yeah. move. He's looking for the hearts. hearts. That's it. He's looking for the hearts. Lord, let me have that heart. In Gaza land, South Africa, 1915, 
Reese Howells, one of his meetings, a young girl came under conviction as she prayed. She broke down crying, and within five minutes, the whole congregation were on their faces crying to God. Like lightning and thunder, the power of God came down and transformed the region, bringing tens of thousands to conviction, repentance, and salvation in that country. One girl, another girl. This was years and years later in a whole other part of the world. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. So this week when I see all these kids, I'm like, yes, God. We are the house of the Lord. Oh, it was so powerful. It was so powerful hearing them sing this song every night. It was so awesome. And so the Lord just began to stir this, that we are the vessels. We are the vessels of revival. What are the characteristics of these vessels? And the Lord was just really churning some things in me. And I, I want to look, and I, I, we can't get to all these different characteristics. I want to look at the first characteristic of a revival heart. And I want to look at the life of David. You know, David, it, it says of David that he was a man after God's own heart. And so you can take that two ways, but, you know, either in his likeness or he was going after it. He was both, right? He was a man that was moving in the likeness of God, but he was a man who was after the heart of God, who was looking for, who desired the heart of God. But the first characteristic, which is the one that I'm focusing on today, is that, that of humble, hungering hearts. Humble, hungering hearts. And I want to look at 2 Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. And let's begin at uh, verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And it's towards the end. Well, David is setting up his kingdom after defeating the Philistines. And he's setting up things. He's building his own home. He's preparing a place for the ark of God. And... The ark of God had actually been in Kiriath-Jerim, and here we go. Let's just start in verse, verse 1. David began to gather all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned upon the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on the new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And... Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. Uh, remember, it was during uh, when Eli was priest and his sons were being priests as well that, that the Philistines came in and overthrew Israel and they took the ark and the ark caused all kinds of problems for the Philistines. <laughs> Make a long story short. And so they sent it back. They sent it back and it ended up in the house of Abinadab. And it was there for 20 years. 20 years, not in Jerusalem. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house, in verse 4, of Abinadab, which was on the hill in Ohio, 
was walking ahead of the cart. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord and all kinds of instruments made of fir wood and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it, almost fell out. And the anger of God burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his reverence. And he died there by the ark of God. Woo, boy, that sounds kind of rough, right? You're like, oh, gosh. David became angry. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day, breaking out against Uzzah. So David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And I know, I know we've talked about Obed-Edom uh, a lot in this household, but there's things about David that I want to focus in on. Um, but we see this first thing, that David is trying to bring in the ark of God into Jerusalem, you know, setting up his kingdom, that this is going to be what, what Israel should be, and all excited about it, and God breaks out against Uzzah, and he's like, well, I don't even understand God anymore. So David becomes, what does it say? It says he's angry and afraid. David becomes angry and afraid, and he doesn't even know what to do to... Make this right with God. But look at the very next, well, I mean, 11 says, God blessed Obed-Edom. Now it was, in verse 12, now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. Okay, well, that's great. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Wait a second. We just had an angry, afraid David. Now he's just completely shifted to, oh, I'm happy and glad. This is so great. Wait, what happened? There was a change of heart in David, and we'll get to this in just a second, and we'll see the change of heart in David in 1 Chronicles 15. So you jump over there. So 2 Samuel was written by Samuel, uh, but Chronicles... Chronicles was written, and it's, it's written, and it takes care of, uh, or, or covers much of the same things in 1 Samuel and 1 Kings, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. Uh, so we have Chronicles, and it's most likely written by Ezra. But we see in Chronicles 15 what happened. Now David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place and an ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one, in the, no one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. And then down in verse 11, it says, Then David called for Zadok and Abiathar the priests, and for the Levites and Uriel and, and Isaiah and Joel and... Uh, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab. And he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers of households of Levites. Consecrate yourselves, both you and your relatives, that you may bring up the ark of God uh, to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it at first. The Lord our God made an outburst on us. For we did not seek him according to the ordinance. 
So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. The sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles thereon, and Moses had, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So what happened? David saw how they weren't treating him correctly. They weren't doing it rightly. They didn't treat him as holy. And that there was this change of heart. After listening and listening and reading scripture, David recognized, wait a second, we need to get your heart on this, God. That it's not just about me setting up the kingdom. This is about you setting up your kingdom and your kingdom come. And there's this change of heart that David has so that he could bring in the ark of God with gladness. What does it say? It says that report came to David that Obed-Edom's house is being blessed. His whole household is being blessed. Pastor Kerry talks about, you know, that his kids were making all A's at school and, you know, they were getting all kinds of gifts. You know, that's, that's a, it's a great picture. But the whole household was blessed because the ark of God was, was right there in their midst. The presence of God was right there. So the thing that I think happened with David was that he recognized, you know, God is not the problem. The ark and God is not the problem. (laughs) The problem is with us. We, we have to get ourselves, we have to prepare ourselves rightly for the presence of the Lord. And so that when he recognized and prepared himself and prepared the people to receive the Lord rightly, that that is when he came in with gladness. We'll see just in a minute what that all meant, too. But I just love that God wants to come in and he wants to change hearts. He wants to prepare, get us prepared and, and work with us to get us ready for the move that he wants to do, right? Uh, we were pastors in, in Iowa for, for years and went through some really difficult times. We came back, we, we, we came, we didn't come back, we came to Tyler. Uh, we were trying to go somewhere else. We were heading to San Antonio, but God kind of had his way and connected us to Trinity Fellowship Church. Yeah. Well, in pastoring uh, in Iowa, I, I got pretty wounded, pretty hurt, uh, and... At one point, the Lord said, I want you to lay down the ministry like Abraham laid down Isaac. And it was, it was difficult. I was like, God, I went to school for this. What am I supposed to do? The Lord said, lay down Abraham like, Ab- like Abraham laid down Isaac. Lay down, lay down your ministry. So I did. We were... We were interviewing with other churches, looking at different places to be pastor, and we just laid it down. Ended up coming to Tyler. We were, I was going to be doing construction down in San Antonio, but we stopped here. Uh, the church was doing some remodeling and things. I ended up helping Pastor Kerry and Pastor Dwayne tile the front lobby. We spent our, a whole day on our knees together. Now, it wasn't that spiritual. We were, or maybe it was. 
we talked and we shared hearts, and God really joined us here to Trinity Fellowship Church, but God knew that my heart needed help, and I'm thankful for a changed heart, that God, uh, God restored my calling, that Pastor Kerry invited us to be a part of a presbytery, which I'd never heard of. And on the, at that presbytery, uh, Pastor Robert Morris, anybody hear of him? Yeah. Pastor Robert Morris Gateway uh, in Dallas. He prophesied over us, and he said, he brought Pastor Kerry and Diane up at the end of the prophetic words, and he said, behold your spiritual mother and father. After he said, this is your seminary. It was so cool. I mean, because I was just saying, Lord, I'm just throwing all my training. I'm throwing all my schooling. I'm throwing away all these things. And here God's like, this is your seminary. Here's your spiritual father and mother. He restored my calling. He restored, he restored my identity. Went to, went to Mexico like uh, the next month or a month uh, around there. Went to Mexico with Pastor Kerry. Uh, Pastor Kerry's preaching... Um, sharing about his time in Odessa, the pastorate that almost killed him. And, and I was just feeling just such a connection with what, what he had gone through. And Pastor Kerry begins to open up the altar for ministry, and he begins just kind of talking about different things and how God wants to minister to you, and I was just bawling. Pastor Kerry got down off of that stage. It was a huge auditorium. He got down off the stage, came over, grabbed me, and started praying Hallelujah. a Father's blessing over me. Yeah. And he restored my identity that I was loved of the Father still. Powerful. So he restored my calling, restored my identity. And God said when we started here and I was working actually was working to help finish the children's building. Uh, I was like, Lord, this is not what I want to do. I, I, what am I doing here? What, what's all? And the Lord said, if you will take care of my house, I'll take care of your house. When we finished the children's building, we closed on our own house in Chapel Hill. That same week, I think. That God restored my calling, my identity, yeah. my house, yeah. where I reside. You know, he restored all of these things. And I was just so blown away, and I'm just so thankful for this house. Yeah. You know that Trinity Fellowship Church, uh, Trinity Fellowship went through a time of renewal and revival itself. We, were, we came right towards the end of all of that happening. And that all happened in our lives in that renewal time of Trinity Fellowship Church, that God wants to renew our hearts, restore our hearts, so they can work and overflow from them and just touch people with these works that he has done in our own lives. So David, David renews his heart, he, they bring in the, uh, the ark of God, Oh, where was I? Okay. It says in verse 25, 
First Chronicles 15, 25. So it was David and the elders of the Israel and the captains over thousands who went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. Because God was helping. God was helping the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. They sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. That there was a renewed heart of joy as they brought in this presence of the Lord into the city. And I want to go back into uh, 2 Samuel. And we see in 2 Samuel, we pick this back up where they're coming into the house or into the city. It says... And so when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. Wow, isn't that amazing? Incredible. Now we know that Kiriath-Jerim was like well, 16 kilometers, what's that, 10 miles? Uh, 10 miles away from Jerusalem. But David had got it from Kiriath-Jerim and brought it towards, so somewhere in between there. But that was a lot of steps. And every six steps, they were having sacrifice. They were making a sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? To, to me, that says that, God, we're, we will do it your way. Yeah. Like David was like, we will honor you. We will honor you, and you will have your way, oh God. And all the way, it's his desire, but you're coming. You are coming, oh God, and we desire you to come. And we're so thankful that you're coming. Lord, I pray that you stir our hearts in the same way. And that David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. And it happened with, as, the, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent with David and pitched, that David had pitched for it. David offered burnt offerings. And David distributed loaves and, and raisin cakes and uh, just blessed all of the people that came. But I love that David just began to abandon himself to the Lord and just had this renewed heart of joy and that God was helping them as, they, as his presence was coming in, that God was helping them with this renewal and revival that was coming into the place that they were, they were longing for him to come. Lord God, we pray that you move and come and work in our lives in this way. In 1994 to the 53, there was the Hebrides uh, revival, and it was in Scotland. Kristen and Peggy Smith, two older ladies, prayed night and day, and they fanned this flame of revival. They were praying for God to move. God, move. God, come. God, have your way. God, do as you desire to do. Taking pains, just, oh God, yes, we want, we want you. We hunger for you. Day and night they prayed. They began to stir some, some people in their own town. And, and men began to pray. And they began to gather in a barn. <laughs> and three weeks, or three nights in a barn, they gathered. From 10 p.m. to 3, 3 a.m. All of this praying uh, just began to to build and to work. 
And they asked, they asked for someone to come and to speak. And the meeting that this person went on, it just, it just began to blossom and people began to show up from all around the villages and uh, they began to, to be filled with just this awe and presence of God. Hundreds, they, they packed the barn out and hundreds came and just surrounded this barn and people began to get saved and they just began to spread in the town. It says, uh, while this was all happening and the move of God was just even transforming this, this area, there was a police station in the town. And one night at the police station, 400 people were surrounding the police station waiting to tell the police what they had done wrong. They were confessing their sins and all that they had done. They were crying out for mercy and the police didn't even know what to do with them. It's, it says that, it, it was said that, that people were coming up and they would, they would hear cries from around the police station. They were like, what is happening? And it was people just on their face in repentance because God had been so moving in their own hearts. But God wants to change. He wants to renew. He wants to revive. But he's looking for places to do it. So David brings in the ark. You know, he's wearing just the linen ephod. He's not wearing any priestly things. He's not wearing, well, the ephod is priestly, but it's just stripped down bare to basically nothing. It's not all the accoutrements of a normal priest. And he's not wearing kingly robes. And he's dancing before the Lord. And we see that his wife, Michael, is just disturbed with this display. She just can't even take it. She said, oh, how the king dignified himself today with what he had done, uncovering himself in the eyes of the servant's maid as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be... And my NASB, I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will humble, be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. The word for I will be even more undignified or I will be more demeaned. The word kalal, it means despised, humiliated. I would even be humiliated for the sake of God, for him to move in such a powerful way. That David was saying, I don't care about what happens to me. I don't care about my favor and my accolades. I care about what God wants to do. And what I see, too, is that sometimes when we, when we put ourselves out there like that, people don't like it. I don't like that. I don't like that you roll around. There was a time at Trinity, and Pastor Kerry said, you should be okay with God working in you and doing something that you don't even want him to do. You should try and be okay with that. And I was like, and the first thing that popped into my head, I do not want to fall down and laugh. <laughs> Guess what I did on that service? And it was one of the greatest moments uh, 
in my life. Because the Spirit of the Lord came on me, and God, God instantaneously showed me a really difficult time in my life. He didn't bring the pain back, but brought the memory of that thing. And then at every moment, and it was just a picture, just a flash of a picture, and that flash of a picture would hit, and then this wave of laughter and joy would just come over me. And that healing would wash over each one of those pictures. That was revival to me. That was revival. He was reviving me. That was the reviving work of God on the inside of me. That's what he wants to do. And just even as Pastor Kerry said, be okay with that. Even when it's something that you don't want him to do. Be okay with doing it. With putting yourself in that position. Okay, God, I don't necessarily want to do that. I don't want to roll around and flop around. But if you want to do it, do it. Yes. Yes. I put yourself, I put myself in your hands. That's what David was saying. I'll be even more humiliated. Yes. Lord, if you will just move. Yes. If you will just work. Yes. Work your reviving work yes. in me and through me. David's humble heart was just seen, um, seen by the nation even, that he would humble himself in that way. I want to just highlight one, more, one other revival. Well, I actually have a couple more, but um, there was a businessman's revival. Yeah. Uh, 1857, 1859 began in New York City. One man, uh, Jeremiah Lamphere, began meeting with one businessman at noontime. They would just break for lunch. And they just began to pray together. And, I mean, I remember reading about what they did, and it was nothing just all that tremendous. They were just kind of praying and reading Scripture. It was awesome. I mean, I'm glad they were doing it. Uh, but one, one more would come, then one more, then more, then more. And then all of a sudden, it was like all of these businessmen, like the, the corporate offices would just evacuate, and all these businessmen would come and gather to meet with God at noon. It says that this revival saw that this, it, it you know, became like 6,000 people, 6,000 businessmen coming. It says that even ships coming into the harbor right on the Hudson River felt the presence of God and deep conviction causing people on the ships to be converted. It was reported that this revival saw a million conversions. Isn't that awesome? One pastor, one businessman meeting together for prayer. Open hearts. What I love, too, is that David's heart was caught by Israel. David's heart brought revival into Israel. His change of heart, the working of God within him, began to shift the heart of all Israel. It says in, in 1 Chronicles that he sets up the tent, right? And then he sends up musicians and prophetic singers that he set up 
4,000 musicians to worship the Lord continually, along with 288 prophetic singers that would continually worship the Lord, night and day, day and night, that David instituted this type of worship. Does that look like revival? It looks like revival to me. I think that's incredible that this work that had started in David, that he brought into Jerusalem, he just brought everyone into it. He's like, okay, we're all going to join into this dwelling place of God. He says in, in Psalm 27, this one thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house all the days of my life, that I may gaze at his beauty and meditate in his temple, that I will be hidden, hidden in his presence. That David was undone because of all that God had done and that he brought Israel, all of Israel into this. And this is what we do when we experience our own revivals and we bring people into these places of revival with us, right? They catch it. I just feel like the hand-holding, and we're all grabbing hands. Yes, we're catching it. I just feel like when, when we're worshiping with the kids every night this week, I was like, we're catching it. This is it. This is we're doing this. This is what God desires, that there is, there is this work of God that God, God just so wants to do within us. And I, I think there's just such a challenge for us to submit ourselves uh, to the Lord and to his work and what he wants to do. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. I just want to, I want to finish with this and then I want to sing this song together as just kind of a, a revival anthem. But 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it says, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. And then Paul says, but the last Adam, he's talking about Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. Became a life-giving spirit. That's the same word that he used in 8.11, in, in Romans 8.11. That same quickening, uh, revival, enlivening, resurrecting spirit. That same spirit, that same life-giving spirit that Jesus was, he gives us of that same spirit. That life-giving, that revival spirit. Where is revival? We were asking, you know, the kids, where is the house of the Lord? We are asking that this week to the kids. When you invite Jesus into your life and he dwells within you, you become the house of the Lord. We, we ask the kids, where is the house of the Lord? They're always, they're saying, okay, he's right here because I invited him to live here. So I am a house of the Lord. So let me ask you this. Where is revival? It's right here. Yes. Lord, let it be. And if it's not, Lord God, I desire it to be. Yes. Yes. Lord God, come. Come in your revival fire and have your way in this place. Yes. Lord, do as you desire to do here. Yes. That revival is not just external and, boy, I hope it's going to get here and I hope it's coming. Right. That God himself and his spirit is coming on the inside of us that we might overflow with living water, with rivers of living water. God, we desire that in this place. We desire that in these vessels, yes. O oh Lord. 